0: Hey everybody, I'm Francesca Maxime. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Rerooted Podcast here on Ram Be Here Now Network. And uh, today we continue our conversations and our exploration around how to be mindful around issues of racial and social trauma and um, our own self-investigation work that we can do, which is kind of the mindfulness path and the Buddhist path is being able to see clearly, so what are our obscurations, what do we not know about ourselves, and where are our blind spots in these kinds of spaces, which can be kind of, uh, you know, a little sticky and challenging to work on. And as you can see, um, if you're watching it on video and not listening, I'm joined by David Dean and by Eleanor Hancock. They put together a class <clears throat> that they're going to tell you about that I've taken twice and run an organization called White Awake, whiteawake.org. And I have um, done this class twice as a light skin privileged, or white-identified person, even though I'm of mixed ethnicity. To kind of understand where that shows up for me, and what is interrogating whiteness, and what is this concept of whiteness, and how do we be mindful about it, and how do we marry education with good intention, and um, all these kinds of things that they're going to talk to you more about. So welcome, Eleanor and David. Thank you so much for, for joining me here today and our listeners on Remoted. Thanks for having Great. Us.
1: Thank you, Francesca. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're going to be offering the class again next month in October um, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and you offer it regularly throughout the year um, a couple of times. Tell us what, um, tell us about the class, whoever wants to go first. Do you want to start, <clears throat> David? Sure, uh, sure. So And, and um, how you got into doing the work, maybe, is even a better place sure. to start. Sure. And then you can talk okay. about the class. Let's do that.
1: Uh, okay.
2: Um, sure. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, well, yeah, El- Eleanor is obviously the director of White Awake and has put in all this work to build up that platform. And I um, connected with Eleanor about three, three and a half years ago um, after I had spent a lot of time um, working for um, – people of color led organizations for racial justice and indigenous sovereignty. Um, and realized that even though I was doing positive work and building great relationships, um, in in those settings that, that I had a lot to, to unpack in myself and a lot, um, more learning that I wanted to do to, to understand my role in, in creating social change in the world as a white man, um, and understand, um, uh, a lot of the feelings of shame and, um, and, and difficulty and and some of the blocks that I had while, while trying to do that work. Um, and. Also had a lot of curiosity too, about, um, my own history and understanding what were actually the forces, um, that set my ancestors on this path of Mm -hmm. complicity in racial harm. Um, and so, uh, Eleanor and I were were just in a similar place of of wanting to investigate in uh, some similar things. Um, And so we uh, came together and just started connecting um, intellectually on a number of things. And as time went on, we developed this online course um, called Roots Deeper Than Whiteness. Uh, One of the things that it's about that that has been really powerful for me, and I'll just say a little more and let Eleanor continue, um, is is actually seeing the connection both today and historically of of racism or white supremacy and capitalism. Um, And how so often um, in this anti-racist world, particularly among white people, we just look at racism in a vacuum. um, And we you know, a lot of times we get this idea that we, this is just all we are. This is all we come from. This is our inherent self. Um, And often we're debilitated with all this shame um, that hinders us from actually engaging productively and also um, keeps us from seeing our stake in a lot of this stuff. Um, And, but what what I think Eleanor and I have found is that when you look historically um, and you look today and you see the role of ruling class power and the ways in which um, a powerful elite have always um, used racism as this tool to divide and conquer and to pit masses of of white folks, um, particularly working class white folks against people of color to keep the two from coming together uh, to create a better world for everyone that is both free of white supremacy and corporate domination. Um, And if we look historically, that was the, you know, that socialization is what took away many of our ethnic identities and and it's what took away many of our ancestors radical politics and when you um, say
0: our just to just make a demarcation you're meaning yeah. folks who are irish or folks who are like my background was italian or folks who are
2: you know like you
0: can't speak italian at all. you have to learn english and that kind of assimilation versus accommodation or acculturation.
2: yeah yeah exactly and, and yeah. one of the things too is um you know, what I've realized is that radical politics were also stripped away um, in many of those situations, um, often preventing actually a, a collective struggle with people of color for a better world. And we found that um, that those understandings can do a lot to to show us our stake and help us build really productive solidarity today.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, David. And I'll attest to that in the sense that you learn about how um, that happened with your, with your curricula. Eleanor, um, yeah, please. Uh, continue.
1: Yeah. I'll, sure. So, um, for me thinking about race and identity specifically started in graduate school. Um, in the late nineties, I was in the ISA art department working on a master of fine arts degree in Madison, Wisconsin. And I ended up taking, uh, a performance art class with a Chicana professor who, really focused on performance art that was taught by folks of color. And I had moved from Abilene, Texas, where I grew up, and it was just a real eye-opening experience through this, you know, sometimes very conceptual or, or kind of radical genre of performance art. It was, this pers- it was this window into the experiences of folks of color in the United States that I hadn't had before and as i spent more time in that class i ended up taking it several times i began to want to understand how my identity had been shaped and so at the time i you know i went to the library and this book called um white women race matters it's by a sociologist um i'm not going to say her name off the top of my head so i won't mess it up but it it just broke down um racial construction for white people and some of what was particular about that So at that point, you know, that was just, that was an illuminating experience for me. And it kind of set me up um, early on in my adult life to be conscious of race and identity. I've um, had some unique experiences um, in that I'm the mother of a biracial child. Her father's African-American. So I spent a lot of time with their family. And I think it, it really helps when you're white, if you have, if you have, experience, uh, if, you ha- if you're able to have experiences of like being a minority in a particular setting and and it's very much like traveling to another country and you kind of learn the different cultural ways of being or how to be respectful in that space, it, it does shake up some of the, um, the sort of training that you've been getting, you know, sort of consciously and unconsciously from society at large to just feel dominant in your way. It's the normal way of doing things. So I had some of those experiences but really for me, I hadn't, it had always been a very personal journey and a lot of times, you know, it had to do with thinking about what my daughter's needs might be and knowing that I had different, I had different things that I was aware of than some of my other, you know, my friends who are white mothers who had white kids. I just had a different, I had a whole other set of things that I was thinking about that they weren't thinking about. But in terms of doing work with other white people in a group setting, I, it had, had not even occurred to me that that was a thing <laughs> until a few years ago, uh, gosh, now maybe six years ago, seven, that I, I met uh, Kristen Barker, who um, lives here in Washington, D.C., and participates in um, IMCW uh, um, offerings and
0: offers things medicine
1: sometimes, medicine. right?
0: Um. Yeah, yeah. Just, just for those who don't know, that's the Insight Meditation uh, Center of Washington. Great. That's Tara Brach's. Thank um,
1: you, with, yeah. with Tara Brach. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: tar- so this is an yeah. outgrowth of
1: that in, a way,
0: in some ways.
1: Well, yeah, so there was a group of Buddhist practi- practitioners here in D.C. A lot of them um, went to IMCW Sangha events. It wasn't an IMCW group that was meeting, but there was a group of practitioners who developed their own um They developed their own curriculum because they wanted to understand and relate more deeply to, you know, what does it mean that we're white and we don't know that much. We don't really know as much as we'd like to know about race and how that affects us and how that affects our you know, peers and colleagues and friends of color. And so it was a small group that met over a period of time. And at any rate, when I met. When I met Kristen, I learned about their work, and that was my first window into people doing this work. And what was really special about what they did is that they brought their mindfulness practice to it. So a lot of anti-racism training can be very intellectual. It can often be very harsh. It can be shaming and blaming. So my introduction to an approach of white people working in caucus on race was that that approach already brought compassion and curiosity as the heart of mindfulness practice. Um, and, and so, so at that point, you know, there was some collaboration that went on and, and I was given permission to use the name that they had used for their small group to start a website. And then over time, the website became a platform that was able to launch a, an actual organization. So White Awake now has its own 501c3. We have a small board. We have an advisory council, and um, it's part of what's been a real um, blessing for me is on this journey is that it's always something I was passionate about and interested about. But as soon as I started making it the main thing that I did for work, I became it's like I became this magnet (laughs) for people and resources and, you know, and, and, and so I've learned a lot simply because of the position that I've been in. And so now I'm kind of beginning to catch up to that point where David and I met, but there's a point for me where um, it really, there was a turning point when I could fully understand that white supremacy is, um, is something that it was developed to serve the function of capitalism. It was developed by a ruling class to divide people. And what's interesting is when I first heard that concept was when I was newer to this work as group work, and I, there's, a, there's a clip that you can find easily online. Actually, um, David has brought it into the Roots Deeper and the Wideness curriculum for homework. But there's a clip of Tim Weiss um, explaining that. When I first heard him, I was like, oh, that's just a cop-out because white people don't want to have to, like, you know, face up to their privilege and their complicity in the whole thing. So when I really actually um, got it (laughs) was I was able to to, um, listen to Chris Krass give a talk in person here in D.C. at the Washington Ethical Society. And I just got it, you know, (laughs) that this is, and that if you don't understand the function of white supremacy, then you can never unravel it. So it's very strategic. It's not about, it's not about whose fault it is, you know, who's to blame. And that's part of that thinking that I think it's a very natural human thing. But once again, mindfulness is a practice, you know, it's one practice. There's many practices that can help turn you away from that. Well, whose fault is it anyway? Kind of thinking it's like, and just think more about cause and effect. And if you want to unwind something, you do have to be kind of calm and centered. Use your frontal cortex the way it was designed to use and be like, well, what's happening And and so this is a a huge part of the class, Roots Deeper Than Whiteness, is unwinding and and understanding some of the early history around how whiteness was developed and um, understanding how it was very consciously and strategically, you know, developed by a ruling class during the 13 colonies when you had the situation where a small group of people owned everything and there were a lot of enslaved Africans and a lot of, you know, indentured servants or European poor working people who were basically their, their life, is, their circumstances were very similar. And so if they got together, they totally had the numbers, you know, <laughs> like to overwhelm the elite. So by, by not only socializing white people differently, but giving them certain roles, like giving them privileges that enslaved Africans were then denied forever. And, um, and then giving them jobs to like be the slave patrol, or they, they, they consciously divided those two groups. And that is now what we're living with. And it's not just, um, it's not just, uh, you know, something that happened in the past and, you know, we just can't get rid of it. It's actually still being used in the same way. It just adapts according to the times. So we're very much seeing that now, that's really in our face now with the Trump administration, everything that's happening right now. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I don't, you know, I can talk a little bit more about meeting David and developing the course, but it feels like a natural point yeah. to come up for air and let yeah. you direct where the conversation goes, Francesca. You know, beautiful,
0: beautiful, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate your own um, coming into the work and how that developed and mm-hmm. the things that you found insightful and enlightening. And I think that we all have had those moments um, uh, well, we haven't all had those moments. That's part of the issue. But when we have those moments, those of us who have had those moments, yeah. then it's sort of like, wow, okay, I can't like unsee this. I can't go back. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, oh, I didn't know. Or gee, this is what I'm not understanding. Yeah. So, okay, two things. I want to get to the course and sort of how it works, and people, you know, can enroll and all those kinds of things. I want to get to that, and we will. But I want to go back first to kind of talking about when we talk about race or racism or we talk about stuff. I mean, you, you very clearly laid out the, the argument that white privilege or white supremacy or white body supremacy or white skin privilege or light skin privilege or whatever demarcation along divisions around there being a dominant. Um, more appropriate, more you know, uh, uh, you know, this is the exalted uh, race or or skin color or, or whatever, right? <laughs> like that, that yeah. narrative, that that narrative, however, you know, yeah. that that came out out of um, that false narrative, right? That fake news narrative, that that came out of um, a really strategic economic place, right? And that that was also, of course, the driving forces of slavery and everything, and that uh, enslaved people and also, as we know, indigenous um, genocide and yep. all the other factors that came into play um, and other ethnic groups that were marginalized along the way. Okay, so it's economic, we get that, we know that, if we're taking your argument there. But what is lost? What I'm curious about is what do white people um, not mm-hmm. know, and David was talking about this, and maybe we can unpack that a little more from his side, What is lost from all the folks who did come over, who kind of worked hard, who were given the land when people of color weren't, when they were starting to come together around being poor people together and trying to, like, you know, speak their truth to be (laughs) folks in power. When we had to assimilate and go into the quote unquote melting pot and wear the same kind of clothes and not eat our smelly foods and not wear our colorful ruffly clothing and not speak in the dialect. And how does that influence perhaps the neuroses of Americans who are light-skinned privileged today, perhaps the feeling of separation that can be pervasive there and not connection to community, mindfulness communities we know as Sangha is so critical to healing and well-being, and also more of the more natural way of kind of who we are this is a construct race yeah. is a reality racism is a reality but race itself is as you said a construct yeah. so yeah. david you want to go there i have like okay
1: yeah i have like just something that's on the tip of my tongue that i don't think will be real long and david i know you can speak to this really well i mean. You know, we we both can speak yeah, to this, but if yeah, you don't yeah. mind, maybe I'll just yeah, take go, it a little right short ahead. turn. Go right ahead. And I was just talking. Um, <laughs> that works. I just there was something that there was something that you said that triggered a, a particular chain of thought, Francesca, that white folks were given the land. I think that one thing that's been actually part of when I met David, um, there was a lot of research that he had already done, and like he suggested my reading, Indigenous People, the Indigenous People's History of the United States of America there was a lot of filling in, the, filling in some of the gaps for me and bringing in the puzzle pieces that were missing that, that was really a beautiful thing about meeting David and like being able to share in the research she had already done and talk about these things. But, you know, I think that part of the confusion that white people have when we start to address race is that we still believe that we're all one group and that we, we have been taught to identify with the ruling class as though we're part of it. And then when we try to break it down, we still seem to think that that's what's going on. So, like, I would, I would say that white people weren't, I mean, white people have more property ownership. It's true. But white people weren't really given land. Like, like I mean, it's mixed bag because, yes, they were. But, but they were predominantly used as a force to go out there and do the killing and claim the land and homestead it. And for the most part, they lost that land and had to keep moving. And so there's part of the experience that white people had is of being used. And I think some of the psychology, and we don't even know we've been used, and we're and, you know, now we're in another wave of economic, you know, turning where the rich are so much richer and we can really see how everyone is struggling, although, you know, people, there's a, the wealth gap and, and obviously, you know, white folks. Overall, have more wealth and have more security, but no one really has the security that they need in this, you know, um, really divided state economically that we're in um, so I, you know, anyway, that thought was just right on the. Hopefully that made some sense, but I'm going to pass it over <coughs> to David and then I can take another turn if y'all like. It. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, I appreciate that. And,
1: and yeah, I guess yeah. I was
0: referring to more like when there were opportunities to give some land to folks that yeah. were African-American or.
1: or I didn't mean that as a correction. It was more like, oh, that just like, you that know, other big piece. put me somewhere. This is like a point that felt important to it highlight. Is.
0: And it just made me think about it. And it's a big point yeah. of the course to talk about. Um, that mm-hmm. it's offered in the curriculum also. So yeah. you know, I, I'm glad that you made it. And so, yeah, David, yeah. Um, continue with like, what do we give up? What's been given up?
2: Yeah, and um, I mean, a lot has been given up. A distinct, um, you know, like white people are not just one group historically, right? And we all have like our distinct ethnic identities, distinct histories, distinct histories of struggle um against domination even earlier in europe um, and i think um, what happens is so many of us have been socialized um, even for <clears throat> the masses of southern and eastern european immigrants right in the early 1900s and late 1800s we talk about in the course how so many of them were put through mandatory americanization programs where they were essentially taught that, that their culture was inferior and pushed to identify with this sanitized, um, largely p- false romanticized history of the white American elite. Um, and I think so many of us, whether we are conscious of it or not, have, have been pushed to identify with that, um, with this romanticized false narrative. And so the neuroses you were talking about to me begins to arise when number one, when, when, when we just start, when we start looking at racism, right. And when those truths are are put in front of us um, of the reality of white supremacy and colonialism throughout this country's history, sometimes um, when, when we've completely forgotten our own stories originally, and then this is our only way of identifying this false mm-hmm. narrative. Then when that false narrative mm-hmm. is delegitimized, we're often just like, stuck in in disintegration, um, right, in this fight, flight, or freeze space. Um, And to me, that, you know, that's why so many people, when faced with this stuff, turn to one of those fight, flight, or freeze responses, they run away and segregate themselves Mm -hmm. from it, or they, you know, turn defensive and actually sometimes even move to the point of resisting movements for racial justice, or like so many people sort of who are on the white anti-racist left, just Turn inward and sort of like feel stuck in shame, and even project their shame on all these other white people, and try to be the best white person, right? But I think when you, what the course does is that when you can reconnect to that larger narrative and understand the processes by which your ancestors were socialized, and for what purposes mm-hmm. that happened, then we can have the opportunity to actually re-identify with with some of who we actually come from. We can find the opportunity to. Um, identify with with multiracial movements for collective liberation that still persisted despite all this history. Um, we can um, just understand our story and what actually happened, right? And and come into this place of of seeing that we can find strength and seeing um, the ways in which our stake is actually. Is actually and, and our well-being and our security in this world of deepening economic inequality and corporate-driven climate change is actually so also even materially is so deeply connected and yeah. in coming into solidarity with people of color. And that unlearning racism is actually a way of reconnecting to like who we actually come from, right? And unlearning racism is the key to building those coalitions that we also need to get free, right? So it's, it's not just this guilt ridden activity, right. Which it just, which it is in so much of, for so many people right now, like that's like, what they're driven by, honestly. Um, and it's not, you know, productive to stay in that place. And I think we all can, um, yeah, can, can, can do so much by seeing the larger picture.
0: Yeah, and I so appreciate that because I think that what happens, and I know that it happened to me too, and it's okay in other classes like yours that I had taken also, um, is that, you know, there are folks who get stuck in the shame spiral or in the guilt spiral or whatever, but it's good to have, like they'll say, right, mindfulness teachings will tell you, but to have a little bit of feeling bad like that's the point of it right like you you want to recognize that like something's not right here, you know but that whole piece of becoming toxic or overwhelming or mobilizing or whatever it is like you know it doesn't actually do anything and it doesn't allow us to move into that space of mindful compassion Mm -hmm. and wise action and find more balance and equanimity which if you look at the nature of things as everything's interrelated then we naturally would be connected. And we were, never not, we were never separate, but this sort of constant field of pushing the separation can make us feel like we're going bananas. And right. to reconnect for for white people too is what I'm saying, not just for those who are on the um, pushed pushed into the margins. And so what I hear you saying, David, and I know from the classes, is that as we begin as white identified folks to go into looking at where this all came from economically, like Eleanor was saying, but also like who are we really, where did we come from, what part of Europe, what part of Italy, mm-hmm. what part of Scotland, mm-hmm. what part of, you know, and, and, and what were the traditions and what was my family name and oh, the highlands of, oh, the high, where was the, like, whatever. Right, right, right. Like, and as you learn those things, you kind of feel like, wow, like, I have a place to be, right? So I can interrogate whiteness as a construct here as it presents itself alongside racism here in America today, I can also investigate my own history and find some pride and joy there, perhaps, from that which came before or an appreciation of the struggle that got everybody here into what now is the United States of America right. in the first place. Mm-hmm.
2: And that can actually increase our capacity for accountability, right? And racial accountability and
0: yeah. facing,
2: facing our behaviors and facing um, that, you know, those aspects of our history too, in my, you know, and so that's why they're not mutually exclusive. It's, it's a huge part of that process, which I think is really powerful.
1: Yeah. And I'll just jump in and add a couple points here that feel, you know, relevant. They're coming up for me. One is I think, you know, where I was trained in mindfulness was not, um, Is not because I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but my background in mindfulness is secular and it comes out of the world of like cognitive behavior therapy and like looking at your life and like things in my life are not working and your therapist might apply mindfulness or, you know, to like help you figure out what's effective, what's effective. And I think that is something that's often missing in a lot of the emotional and guilt driven activism. Is there's this feeling like, you know, white people have been privileged and white people have done these things and maybe white people should be punished or maybe we should punish ourselves. Or blah, 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 blah. But like, do we want to stop this? <laughs> you know, do we want to take control of our lives? What's effective? What's actually going to work? And we don't really have the kind of, we don't really have a lot of time for um, some of the bitterness and arguing, you know, if we can find a way out of that and focus on something we can work on together and how our self-interest is, you know, mutual. Um, and in that context, why people can understand some of their, they can break down some of their bias or some of their, their uh, microaggressions that, have, that, they, that they don't realize they're doing, but it's in relationship with people as peers who we are trying to get out of this thing together. Because at this point, it's, you know, the only thing I think that's helpful about what we're going through right now is that it's so obvious what's happening, that I think we have a better chance of breaking out of it. But people have been trying to break out of this, you know, since the Roman Empire, I mean, it's been going on a long time, this like, the empire mentality, the the small group of people who are dominating masses of people and destroying the environment and destroying indigenous traditions. It's been going on so long, <laughs> but understanding that we have ancestry somewhere that is connected to resistance of that, you know, something that, that, that is, that David has touched on. The other point that I wanted to kind of bring out is that part of what changes is not just, I think, it, I think that, you know, White Awake offers a whole ancestral recovery course as well that goes in even deeper to like, well, who, who are your people and where are they from and how can we put that into historical context? But I think there's another part of it that, you know, some people are less attracted to that than others. And I don't feel like we, I think it's important to know that story, just to know something about where your your people come from. But I don't think you have to understand their traditions and try to replicate that stuff. There's something else that's happened that's very immediate. That's about just being a human animal in the way that this species has evolved to live and, having a connection to your body, for example, Um, having a connection to your heart, not just living up in your head, Mm. being connected to that very natural human way of being to empathize with others. All of these things, you know, you're interested in like trauma and, and mindfulness and how we can understand the effects of being socialized into white dominance. It disconnects us from our body. It disconnects us from our emotions. It makes it difficult to empathize with others. It sets us up to be very competitive and very intellectual, and that damages us. That damages our relationships with our family members, with our intimate partners, with our children. And it's part of how we maintain dominance. You have to deaden a person in some in some in multiple ways in order for them to be a dominant group that participates in the, in the mm. oppression of others, because that mm. is not how the human animal is evolved. We are evolved where if we see somebody getting hurt, it's as if it's happening to us and our whole being experiences that as trauma. And that's one thing you know, that David has also researched and, and brought some of these concepts to me around the perpet, um, perpetrator trauma. When some, if you hurt someone, you then have trauma. Um, And, you know, we often, as a society, if we're stuck in that, well, it's your fault, you need to be punished, how do we unwind that? You have to actually address some of the trauma that the perpetrator has experienced um, while doing what you can to keep everyone who encounters them safe. So.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. David, do you have anything you want
1: to add there?
2: No, I was mostly okay. just, I was mostly yeah. just listening to I know, Eleanor I preach. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: Just because she was referencing that you were also bringing in that piece of the work, and I didn't know if that was something yeah. to talk about. So we have yeah. about um, 10 minutes left. So let's talk about the class itself and what people can expect, because I know, you know, Dharma teacher, mindfulness teacher, author, um, you know, Ruth King, she wrote a book called Mindful of Race, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she really encourages folks to uh, establish what they call racial affinity groups, racial affinity mm-hmm. groups. Um, So that like, you know, people who are of the same race, And in my case, she said, well, then you would want to find a mixed ethnic racial affinity group, Mm -hmm. not one that's black or white or Hispanic necessarily, but people who could be Chinese and Jamaican and Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, so anyway, this class is for people who quote unquote identify as having white skin privilege or white skin privilege or are white identified. And talk about how that's supportive of this exploration into these issues that can be kind of thorny and sticky, and why it's what sort of people of color have been asking, white or light-skinned privileged people mm-hmm. to do for a long time, as opposed to having to be as a person of color, the person who's teaching, the person with the, um, you know, in this case, lighter skin, uh, you know, to mm-hmm. to 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 be their teacher.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleanor, you want to take
0: that?
1: Sure. Um, (laughs) Hold on one minute. Um, uh, Yeah, so one of the things that we've, as part of our growth as an organization and offering these courses, we've realized that we need to be much more explicit about whether or not a course is a caucus and have a way of explaining that. Uh, as people are registering. So if you go through the registration process, you'll see you're asked to read the ground rules for this course, and that'll include a more detailed explanation of caucusing. And actually, we reference, it's been really helpful to have the way that Ruth King writes about, white offend, about racial affinity groups is one of the best resources I've found online, honestly. And I think part of that is because she's a Dharma teacher and it brings this thoughtful, what is strategic, compassionate approach. But basically, you know, if you're going to be in a group where um, you want people to be able to feel comfortable being vulnerable and to talk about their experience of how they've been socialized or their family history, and they're going to talk about the fact that they're white, you know, people are like, if you put folks in a mixed group and you ask the white people to talk about whiteness, they're going to look at the people of color, <laughs> And one of two things will happen. One is if they're conscious, if they're conscious, they're going to be self-conscious and they're going to monitor what they're saying and you're just not Mm. going to have an honest dialogue. It's also not necessarily a helpful space and could even be a hurtful space for people of color to be in. Like, it's just, how about if you work that out yourself, you know, without me being there, witnessing it or wasting my time? Um, The other thing that can happen is white folks, if they're brand new to the work, they can be like, you know, they haven't got any consciousness about some of the ways they've been socialized. They could be overtly hurtful to folks of color. It's just there's no need to do that. Sometimes, that, um, sometimes one of the comparisons I make is that I feel like it's a really beautiful thing when men get together and talk about how they've been socialized in, into masculinity. And I, it would be strange. There's work that they can't do if I'm there as a woman. I might be interested in being a fly on the wall sometimes, but I don't necessarily have permission to do that, and, there's, and I certainly can't tell them what they need to do because I didn't have that experience. I had the experience of being socialized as a woman and experiencing sexism and gender oppression, but I don't know the inner workings of what that's like for men. You know, men know that because they experience that. And, and I think that's another thing that, you know, your listeners who are, who have a Buddhist practice or a mindfulness practice might really be able to appreciate is that inner knowing, you know, there's, there's this, there's like, you can't have somebody from the outside tell you this is what it was like for you if they don't know that. There has to be a chance to get in touch with our, our inner wisdom around these things. And so, you know, that's part of, that's, I think that's part of caucusing actually. That's great. David, do
2: you want to elaborate on what i shared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And share additional stuff too. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I, I also think that um, caucusing, you know, caucusing is one method um, that we use in this way. Um, And there's also, you know, a lot of value at, you know, at times in, in, multiracial dialogue about race. Um, and there can be, you know, if it's held right, and, there, and there's definitely value and almost this is, this is not some supposed to be some isolated thing, but it's supposed to support people in engagement in multiracial activism. Um, and uh, I think when you have, you know, cross racial leadership, and a, that represents their, their constituencies, and everyone's coming together, and we actually can can wake people up to the ways in which, they're connected and, and even, you know, intake and, um, and, and, and create space for white folks, too, to take wisdom from people of color about the ways in which um, they have unique and extreme suffering and we can we can show up for that um, is really important, too. You know, um, and but, but yeah, I just want to reiterate that this is all for the purpose of greater capacity for building multiracial solidarity, because that's what we all need to. Um, to, to create the world that, that, that we all need.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And, and I think that, you know, again, going back to the economic piece, whether um, it's racial solidarity, solidarity around, you know, uh, sexual orientation, gender, whatever it is that is, quote unquote, uh, being marginalized or pushed aside, right, we could extend right. that. But this particular course, this organization, quite a way, mm-hmm. is focused on the racial piece. So just to, to, to note that. So we right. have about five more minutes, and I would wonder if you um, wanna talk a little bit about um, the folks who, you know, taken the class and sort of some of the things that maybe they've been able to share um, about, like, you know, I came in with this, mm. this happened, this is where <laughs> I, mm-hmm. this was my light bulb moment, and then, you know, where people can enroll and how long it is and how much mm-hmm. it costs.
1: Mm. We've definitely got, you know, definitely when people fill out the surveys, there's a strong impression that people put things together around the relationship between capitalism and um, white supremacy in a way that was new for them. Um, And that that was a really powerful experience from the course. Um, Otherwise, I feel like there's a general sense I have that people have a really, you know, empowering experience, but I'm not pulling stuff right off the top of my head about really specific things that people have said.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean one thing that I think, and Eleanor, I, I think you'll agree with this too is 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 part of what I was talking about earlier about and, and what I think this is this learning and stuff has done for me too and us um, is getting out of that fight flight or freeze space which for many yeah. of the participants of this course um, and mm-hmm. you know people who who would take stuff like this is almost that freeze and stuck in shame and Literally, I mean, I just led a small in-person thing out here in the Bay Area where I am. And people, after it was over, um, wrote uh, things on on big pieces of paper, uh, just answering questions about kind of like but, uh, different different types of things they learned. And one, one prompt uh, was, I used to think blank, but now I think blank. Mm, and people literally were talking about like they used to think that like, they were like inherently evil, you know, yeah. literally, or like inherent that that this was their only heritage, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that actually um, mm-hmm. keeps people from from facing the harm, right? That keeps people mm-hmm. if you if you and we see that in all sorts of different ways of addressing trauma, right? When you even, uh, you know, my partner works with, works with men in prison who've, who've committed serious harm. And if they're stuck in their shame and if they don't understand the, the, the forces that, that took them on that path, then they can't be accountable, you know? Um, and, and they can't grow and they can't see how their well being is connected to, to, to transforming.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's why I always try to emphasize like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you and we're all heavily conditioned and we have to be aware of that enough to be able to then move out of the amygdala activation and flight, flight freeze into um, sort of unpacking whatever's in our limbic, you know, sort of midbrain and all our emotional learnings. And, you know, that's where the biases live and, the, you know, all these things that are adaptive um, to be able to get more online and use the yeah. internal cortex to engage in this kind of um, solidarity work and connected work right? This is like, if we're feeling lonely and separated, this is the antidote. It's like, this is good for you. It's vulnerable and it's difficult and challenging, but you're doing it in a safe community or as a safe a community as can be created. And you're going to be Mm -hmm. able to move through it, like have faith in that. And that is a leap of faith in a way. um, But it Mm -hmm. maybe feels a little better than being stuck in that chain. You know,
1: it's really, yeah. Yeah. And people definitely have the experience of um, feeling connected to the community to the, to the other participants that are taking the course and having this experience of oh I'm not alone and I'm and I'm part of this supportive network. The other thing that often people take our courses with a small group like other folks you know who they know locally um, maybe other practitioners if that's where their their orientation they're coming from. We've had families actually take. Like, we've had homeschooling families who are like on some eco village, you know, they like have taken Root awesome. Deeper with their kids. Yes. And um, so, you know, that's, we really encourage that. Um, do you want us, do you want me to talk a little bit about just registering and
0: yeah.
1: accessing the course? Yeah. Is it time for that? Um, yeah, we always, we all, when we have a registration for a course that's open, we always have that information on the home page of our site. So you can find it in other places and on Facebook, you follow us on Facebook, we post it there, but you can just go to whiteawake.org and right on the homepage, you can click on a link and you can read all the information and then you can click through and register. Um, one of the ways that we work is that we don't limit the number of people that take a course. So we might have a lot of people taking an online course together, but when you're inside a live session, we use breakout rooms and we have like, guided group discussion so that it's interactive and so that you're able to have some small group discussion. Um, Doing it that way allows us to be in a position where we can just accept anything that a person can pay. So money should never be a barrier to taking our courses. If you want to register and can't pay anything, that's fine. We give, when you go to the registration page, we give like a, a basically a sliding scale registration fee and just expecting people will pay what's comfortable for them on that fee. And then if they need to pay something different, you know, they can. And then if they want to give more, they can make a donation to the organization as well.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Such a really um, broad invitation and um, really yeah. um, beautiful work that you've done. And really um, the, the class is starting next month, October what? Sixth. Sixth. And how long is it? And it's on Sundays for a couple hours or how, how are you doing at this time?
2: Yeah, it's over. Yeah, the- it's. Go ahead. It, oh, over Go the ahead. course of about a month and a half, it's on Sundays, um, mm-hmm. I believe at, at 2 p.m. Western, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, starting October 6th, we do two Sundays in a row. Then we take a break for a week, have one more, take another break for a week, have our final one. So four sessions total. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks. Two so hours it's, each.
1: Right. So it's, And there's it's, homework. We ask people to do homework in between. So you should have a little, you should have, you know, two or three hours that you can do homework in between sessions. But um, well, live and it attendance really is
2: enriches.
1: not. Yeah. And live attendance is not mandatory. That is always <laughs> a question people ask. We record the sessions, and folks can use the recordings to participate. Um, you lose a little bit of interaction of the live session, but especially if you have a small group that you're, you know, if you have, if you're part of a small group, you don't lose much because you can interact and do use the discussion prompts for the breakout groups and things like that.
0: Beautiful. All right, starting next month, whiteawake.org, David David Dean, Eleanor Hancock for doing this work. We really appreciate it. And again, um, you know, awakening together, really, and um, Mm -hmm. moving into compassionate, um, wise action together and um, really doing the um, self-inquiry and interrogation around um, all the stuff that can occlude uh, what prevents us from... Uh, Being more connected in the way that we naturally. So, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your presence and all your good work. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for the invitation, Francesca.
0: Thank you. Bye.